Father, thank you again for this day and this time together. And guys, we get ready to read your word and Lord, to just contemplate the things that you want from us and the things that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that you would speak into our lives. Lord, like we asked a while ago, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be humble enough to admit the areas and the things that we have that are within us that need to be worked on. Lord, we just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to be able to stand in your presence and to do all the things that we've done so far. And Lord, the privilege we have to read your word. And God, I pray that you would use it to grow us and change us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So we are still in unspoken sins of the church. And deviousness is one of those things that's in our culture today that we just kind of uh, have accepted and glorified a little bit. Um, we like the fact when people are just kind of slightly underhanded and you know have a little bit of a bad side to them. And we, you watch movies and you watch TV shows, and a very common theme in our culture today is for a TV show or something that maybe many of you have watched is to have this person who does bad things, and they're actually a bad person. But the whole, and it's almost like this challenge from directors to create this character that is a bad person and does bad things, but yet brings about things in their life that makes you sympathize with them in order to accept them and root for them throughout the duration of the show. And even in our culture today, like we do this, there are things that we know are wrong, but we have accepted because, you know, we kind of like that. We like living on the edge. You know, there's this whole thing, especially living in the South, of being a rebel that's kind of glorified a little bit. We like living outside the boxes and outside the rules and expectations, and it makes us feel a little more alive. But we have to be really careful, because inside the church... What God calls us to is pretty distinct. It's, it's very upfront. It's very forward. God is pretty straightforward about what he calls us to do and the things that he expects from our life. And if we let that culture seep into our lives as Christians, we can deviate away from what God has called us to. And, and in some cases, many people have been okay with the deviousness that comes along with the culture of our world. And the problem is, is that... Um, the deviousness can be towards God. It's always towards God. But it can be more directed towards God in our own personal life. And some of that deviousness can be directed towards our brothers and sisters and our neighbors whom we're supposed to love. And the whole point of it is, is that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Amen. And then we're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But if there's deviousness, if there's the desire or the willingness to Go, sneak under the rules. Just in any given case, someone is going to suffer because of that. Someone's going to be a victim in that. And that's not loving the way that God has called us to love. It's not loving Him. It's not loving our fellow brothers and sisters. There's this interesting passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7-11. through 11. This is where we're going to be this morning. And this is Paul talking about lawsuits happening inside the church. 
super interesting to think that like the early Christian church, you know, they're arguing with each other. We've, we've, everything we've talked about, you know, we, we say it again and again and again. There's nothing that we're dealing with today that the early church didn't deal with when the New Testament was being written. This is why we have great scripture to guide us in our lives today. There's no sin that's alive today that wasn't alive back then. Does that make sense? Like we've stretched things, like things may be a little different, like culturally, scientifically, things like that. But basically, sin is sin, and it's always been sin, and they were dealing with this in the New Testament. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he's talking to them because they were taking advantage of each other, they were cheating each other, they were, they were robbing each other, they were doing all these different things, and then they would get mad at each other, and they would sue one another. But in order to do that, you had to go back to the Old Testament law, or you had to revert to the Romans in order to be able to do that. And what Paul is saying is, look, He's like, you got to stop this because this whole process of you taking advantage of one another is ruining your witness in Christ. And so let's read together. Paul says, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Doesn't matter who's right. Doesn't matter who's wrong. Doesn't matter who wins the lawsuit. The fact that there's even anything going on is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Now, don't you think about that before we move on. This is the early church. This is the New Testament church that we're reading about, that we base all of our, like, knowledge and and understanding of scripture on like this is what the apostles were writing about to these early believers and we're still going through some of this stuff today right anybody ever feel like you've been wronged or hurt or something happened between you and a fellow christian kind of make you question whether or not they was even a christian to begin with animosity everybody's like nodding their head nobody's raising their hand but everybody's back here like "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm that's right It's not a surprise. They were dealing with it too. And then in verse 9, Paul continues on. He says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? If someone does wrong to you, you don't have to worry about suing them or getting even or anything like that. Their punishment is coming. You with me? And if we really loved people like we say that we do, like our greatest concern should be that they would not inherit the kingdom of God and they would inherit eternal damnation. And that should be a, like, you know, when you think into consideration, is it worth someone going to hell over you feeling cheated or done wrong? That's something we have to, like, contemplate as we get ready to decide whether or not we're going to hang on to stuff and we're going to grab hold of bitter and animosity and we're just going to cling to this and and let it affect our life and our relationship with the Lord? Or do we care enough to be like, it's not important enough for somebody to burn in hell over me being done wrong or someone talking about me or anything like that? But, But let's look on. Paul says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
And so when you look at that list of sins, there's some pretty significant sins listed that we would call big sins. And then there's some other things. It's like, eh, yeah, we know they're wrong, but we wouldn't consider them big sins because you know, we, we like to rate things. But when you look at this, he was saying like all of you were once like that, but you called on the name of Jesus Christ and you should be different. You should not be involved in those things anymore. So point number one I want us to look at today as we talk about deviousness, because when we like to just kind of get past the rules, find the loopholes in life, and really just take advantage of opportunities, and we don't really take into consideration honoring God to our utmost and loving our brothers and sisters to the utmost, people get hurt. And God is affected by this. So point number one, especially the small things matter. It's the small things. When you look, especially inside the realm of Christianity, most people are not going to go out and flaunt sins. Like, you know, you're not, even, even people who don't claim to be Christians, no one goes out and says, yeah, I kill people for fun. They don't tell anybody, right? Everybody tries to hide it. Especially inside the Christian realm, like stuff that we do that we know is right, we don't stand up and announce it, do we? Because stuff like that's personal and we like to contain that. There, there's still shame and, and, and you know, like we, we cling to that stuff and we like to hide it and we don't like to open up and be open about it, but we know it's wrong. But it's the little things that sneak into our lives that really begin to take hold of us and lead us down the roads that we never thought we would go on. You can look at religious people, pastors, leaders of the church, very good people who have fallen, and you think, like, my goodness, what were they thinking? How could they do that? I guarantee you they didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this. It started out with the little things, the little sins that we just say, well, this is okay, we can justify this. It enters in our lives, and then it grows because that's what sin does. It grows. Now, some of these sins, like we said, are, are bigger sins, and they get plenty of recognition. There's a lot of those things that we mentioned in verses 9 through 10 that has gotten a lot of attention from the pulpit over the past 100 years. You know, we're looking from the American church, right? You've heard a lot of these things preached on. And then some of them don't get a whole lot of time. Things like greediness, thievery, and cheating is stuff that we just like, we understand that it's wrong, but we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about it. But we have to remember that in God's eyes, all sin is the same. This is huge. Now, if you've been in church your whole life, you've heard this a thousand times, preaching to the choir, but if you're new to the whole Christian thing and you're not really involved, it's super important that we understand that. There are going to be things in your life that you are not like, this just does not seem like it's that big of a deal. Like, I just don't understand what the big deal is. Like, why does God say this is wrong? I don't understand what the big deal is. And you have to understand, it's like, okay, well, I can understand why we don't kill people. I can understand why, you know, adultery is wrong because that hurts people and it breaks up homes. And, you know, I can understand why this is wrong, but then like, oh, like, is it really a sin for me to cheat in a game, to cheat someone? Is it wrong for me to cheat someone out of money? Is, like, you know, like we start talking about some of these smaller things and we start justifying, we start questioning why. But when you look at it from God's perspective in James chapter 2, verse 10, James writes about it, he says, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. It is so, it's so important. 
that you sit here today and that you understand that it does not matter if there's people rotting in a prison cell somewhere who's broken every single law that you could think of. And then you're sitting here and you feel like, okay, I know that Scripture says that this is wrong, but it doesn't feel that bad. I don't understand why. And to know that like in God's eyes, you're no different than the person who's broken every single law that you could think of. As people, as people, we are so affected by culture, by society, by understanding. And like you think about the laws, even from state to state, how, how different people's opinions are on what laws should be from state to state. Like we've been battling that for the past several weeks now with some stuff going on. We're so affected by family, by culture, by society. And sometimes it is very hard for us to understand and realize why God says some of these things are wrong because we've been taught our whole life that it's okay or it's acceptable or it's not that bad. Like, yeah, it might be frowned upon, but it's not that. You have to understand that in God's eyes, he does not look at sin the way that we look at sin. Like, we are sinful, right? How many of you have sinned before? Participate, raise your hand. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. All right? How many of you still struggle with sin? Okay? And because of that, because of that simple understanding right now, we look at sin so differently because we understand we have sin in us, and we like to think that we're not bad people, right? How many of you are bad people? Nobody? You're not a bad person? Point proven. None of us would like to think that we are a bad person, but we have to understand that whenever we start looking at sin, because we are guilty of sin, we look on it as in like, well, that's not that bad. I could be doing worse. And yes, you could be doing worse. You could be running around killing people and robbing banks and, you know, whatever. All right? You could be doing worse. But at the same time, we're talking about a God who has no sin. A God that by Scripture says he can't be a part of sin. He can't even be in the presence of sin. And so when you start talking about the theology and the understanding of why Jesus Christ had to come to die, to be sinless, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, to forgive you of those sins just so you could stand in the presence of God, that's huge. But because we do serve a God who looks at sin as being like, He's never sinned. He can't have any part of sin. So even the little things that we think are not that big of a deal, that's just, this doesn't matter. I know the Bible says this, but man, there's no victims, and we justify, and we rationalize. This is a victimless thing. This is just me. Nobody even knows that I'm doing this. And, And we can justify, and we can rationalize it all that we want to, but we still have to stand before a God who is absolutely sinless and does not see a little sin or a big sin. He just sees sin across the board. And so it does not matter what it is that's in your heart. And like we talked about this a while ago, perfect example is verses 9 through 10. And you talk about sexual sin, and then he talks about adultery, And then he talks about male prostitutes. And then he talks about homosexuality. So there's four different sexual sins there that's mentioned. But to understand like the whole idea of for years, homosexuality has been like a big thing that's caught a lot of tension in the pulpit, right? 
And this whole time, like heterosexual sin between premarital sex has been going on. And it's not necessarily one of those things that gets a lot of time from the pulpit. Like we know it's wrong, but we consider that a normal normal sin that a lot of people struggle with as they're leading up to marriage and getting ready to go in that. And that's something that a lot of people deal with. And guys, I'm going to tell you, God looks at them both equally. Sin is sin. No matter what it is, whether it's the smallest thing that you could think of, whether it's gossiping or whether it's ending the life of someone in this world, God looks at all sin the same. That's what we need to understand. The small things matter. And because of this, when we allow, da- when we allow sin to creep into our lives, we allow danger. We endanger our souls. You know, it's always funny. There's some people who are just like absolutely hate thieves. And they hate cheaters. You ever met some of those people? Like, I can't stand them. They should be put under the jail. You know, it's like some people are just like really big online. If you lie to me, I'm done. We'll never be friends again. Like, oh yeah, you could cut my arm off and I'm okay with that, but you better not lie to me. Just tell me you're going to do it. People are just really weird about stuff. The justification of our lives is a lie that Satan wants us to buy into. That's something we need to come to terms with today. The fact that whatever it is in your life that you justify, that you think is not a big deal, that's a lie that Satan wants you to buy into because he knows as long as there's sin in your life, there's a problem. There's an issue between you and the Lord that needs to be settled. Different denominations have different stances on exactly what's going on. But let me be very clear cut to you this morning that if there is sin in your life and you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a problem that needs to be addressed. Point blank. It should not be allowed to go on. You should not be okay with it. You should not justify it. You shouldn't even like be okay with a friend justifying it. If there's sin in our lives, there's a problem and it needs to be addressed. Most Christian people still struggle with forgiving people, right? How many of you have a hard time forgiving people when they do something wrong to you? It's hard. Like when you think about the idea of of sinning, number one, every time you sin, you always sin against the Lord. But number two, a lot of times when we sin, we sin against other people. And so the concept of also like allowing yourself to be okay with certain sins and to justify those not only puts yourself in danger, but it puts your fellow brothers and sisters in danger. It gives a bad witness and testimony. There are people who will be negatively affected by our sins who are not Christians. And if they know that you're a Christian and find out you're a Christian and see what you do or hear about what you do or are wronged by what you do, what do you think that does for the name of Jesus Christ? Then there are brothers and sisters who are called by God to forgive one another, to love one another, to allow ourselves to be taken advantage of by one another, and yet at the same time we have a really hard time with that, don't we? And so whenever we sin, whether it be the slightest, smallest sin, it doesn't seem like a big deal, even our fellow brothers and sisters will have a hard time forgiving one another and looking past those sins. We endanger one another, we endanger ourselves, we endanger the whole body of Christ when we allow sin to come in. Point number two, 
when it comes to sin and the deviousness and things like that, you're called to only separate from hypocrites. When you become a Christian, it's always extremely difficult to know who you should and should not allow yourself to associate with anymore. It's a big deal. Because there are people in your life that you've been friends with your whole life who are still okay with what you've now been convicted of. And you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to keep being around them if they're continuing to tempt you with that or, or that situation is still there, you may need to remove yourself from that. But, but the problem is, is whenever we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and we begin to separate ourselves from everybody because we want to be holy and we want to live for God, and so we put up these barriers and we separate ourselves from everyone so much that we kind of lose our effectiveness in witnessing and ministering to people. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-13... through 13, Paul says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. You with me? All right, so as a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you have to understand that in this world, you cannot avoid people who participate in these things. Even inside the church, every single one of us deal with our own temptations, with our own sin that we struggle with. And so like we would literally have to leave the world in order to get away from people and avoid them completely. In verse 11, it says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. You with me today? So even like some of the big sins and even some of the small sins, like the, even the concept of just cheating. Somebody who believes in Jesus Christ and claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ and lives like this, habitually lives like this, it's a part of their daily life, Paul's saying you shouldn't have anything to do with them. Because, because the hypocrites are the one who ruined the name of Jesus Christ. They ruined the testimony and, and the salvation and the power of Jesus Christ because the world is looking at them and if we accept people like that, if the church allows people like that to just be a part, it ruins the image and the testimony and the message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul talks about separating from people like that. Look at verse 12. This is super interesting. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Because people, people in the world love to talk about Christians just judge. It's all judgmental. Judge, 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 judge. It's all you hear about is people judging. You're just judging me. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Jesus says you can judge a tree by the fruit that it produces. If a person does not claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, it should be no surprise that they produce the fruit of sin in their life. Shouldn't be a surprise. They're not, trying, they're, they're not trying to live for Jesus. There's no expectation there. There's no reason why we should expect them to be sinless. But if someone claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if they claim to be a follower of him, if they claim to worship him, if they claim to be a member of the body of Christ, there is an expectation for us as fellow believers to look at them and to judge as to whether or not they're producing the fruit that Christ expects them to produce. And in the same way, that means that other people will be looking at you, judging whether or not you are producing the fruit that Scripture and the church says that you should be producing. That's heavy. 
because it puts a lot of responsibility on us and it makes us very vulnerable. This is why whenever we accept new members, I make the body of Christ stand up because it's very important for the whole body to understand that these two new members are part of the team now. And they have just as much responsibility in holding you accountable as you do holding them accountable. Paul hits the nail right on the head. Because it's not our responsibility to judge people of the world. God will deal with them accordingly. Only he knows. And their sin that they're going to deal with is rejecting Jesus Christ. It's not going to be the sin in their life. It's going to be rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. That's what they'll be held accountable for. But for the people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility. Verse 13 says, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. You remember last week when we talked about when people wronged one another? How many times that was actually followed through and brought before the church and you saw like people actually disciplined inside the church because they refused to admit that they were wrong and they had sinned? It had never happened. Like None of us could ever say we'd ever seen it happen. And this is another passage right here. We get so scared in our lives. And don't get me wrong this morning. There's not a single person I can think of at Graham Chapel that I'm sitting here licking my chumps at saying, like, we need to get rid of them. I'm preaching the sermon just because we need to cut the ties and let them go. That's not the case. What I'm saying is, is that we need to be understanding of Scripture and how Christ always intended for the church to be and to understand that it's serious enough that there's an expectation of purity and holiness in every single one of our lives. And if we're not living according to Scripture, we should be removed. And that's scriptural. It's not opinions. It's not just a thought. It's just God expects His followers people who have received the message of Jesus Christ to live according to his word and to produce fruit and to provide a healthy, vibrant testimony in their lives. Not that you can get up and speak in front of everyone, but your life testifies in itself who you serve and who you believe in. That's important. This is not a matter of exerting authority or establishing a superior holiness over people. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, like, if you've ever been involved in church, you know there's always been people who, who try to promote certain ideologies or convictions or things like that. But, it, but it's not this whole idea of exerting authority or establishing a superior holiness. But we all have to make the decisions of who we're going to be associated with in our life. You with me? You, you're sitting here today, and I'm going to tell you, the people that you associate with are going to build you up in your relationship with Christ, or they will tear you down in your relationship with Christ. Doesn't matter how young or old you are. You could be 90-something years old, and the people you associate with, if you do not associate with godly people, your relationship with Christ will suffer. And we have to decide who we're going to associate with. Some people will drag you down, some people will build you up. But I want you to remember this. We also have to be willing and loving enough to hang out with some people who aren't as spiritually mature as we are, right? Because how many of you would like to hang out with somebody who would build you up and help you grow spiritually? Usually those people who are going to help us grow are further along than we are. And so by chance, if we hang around them, there's a possibility that we might bring them down 
because we're not as mature as they are, right? So there has to be a willingness in your life to even be able to hang out with people who are not as spiritually mature as you are with the intention of helping them grow in their relationship with Christ because we would want someone to do that for us, right? I would not be standing before you today as a pastor, probably not as a Christian, if it had not been for older people who were saved and living for the Lord who befriended me and discipled me and put up with a lot of garbage along the way. No joke. Because I was not spiritually mature. And in a lot of people's eyes, I'm probably still not very spiritually mature. Like, I got a lot of things that God is still working on me in my life. But that's the whole thing about it is we need to be able to hang out with each other. But it's the hypocrisy. It's the people who live in habitual habits of sin and justify that, and they're okay with it. Those are the people that Christ talks about we need to be avoiding and cutting ties with. Point number three. You got to let yourself be cheated. Any of you ever been cheated before? How hard is it to let go? There is a deep sense of pride ingrained in us as Americans. We don't like to lose, do we? I can remember I was 18 or 19 years old. I hadn't been saved very long. Still young, still immature. I was over at some friend's house. We were playing wiffle ball. All right? Very immature. We were real grown up back then. And we were playing wiffle ball in the yard. And I remember it was a few of us versus another few. And somebody felt like they got cheated. And before I know it, here we are, graduated high school. We are done started college. And we're in the front yard of one of my friend's brother's house. And we're fighting over wiffle ball. Because we could not let it go that we were cheated or someone was going to take advantage of. And guys, I'm going to tell you, that sounds really silly, doesn't it? It was silly. And it was kind of one of those moments I remember stepping back thinking. I'm like, dude, how, like, as a Christian, because I was like one of the only ones there who really professed to be a Christian and really didn't do a good job of representing Christ in the moment. And I remember thinking, like, how, how is this possible that we could be, like, this old and still fighting over wiffle ball? And it sounds silly, but guys, I will tell you, as adults, I've seen some of the most godly people who have been cheated or wronged in some way have a really difficult time moving past that and working through that and dealing with it in their life. Like even as I've gotten older, there have been times where I felt like I've been done wrong as an adult in my late 20s, early 30s, and still like have a really hard time moving past it. But Paul calls those people and calls the church of Corinth and he calls us to allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. It should be okay. And the whole point of the past several sermons is, is understanding in the process of all these things we're talking about is there's something bigger at hand than just what we want to accomplish to feel like we've received justice. You with me? That's important for us to remember in our lives. There's something bigger at hand than just for us to feel like we've received justice on any matter or anything. That there is an eternal thing that we should be focused on, that we should be willing to let anything in this world go in order to see the eternal thing magnified and glorified through our lives. That's extremely difficult, and it goes against everything that most of us were taught growing up. 
but it's what he calls us to do. You think about Jesus, think about how frustrating it would be to be Jesus. Dude never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He, he never like was, was wronged anyone whatsoever. In fact, he went around and he helped people constantly. Like His entire life was just helping people. And he constantly was trying to find places that he could hide. And to just have a break and spend time in prayer. I mean, think about that. The, the guy was bombarded by people and all he wanted to do is like, I just want a little bit of time to pray. How many of you have ever just wanted to do that? I just want a little bit of time to pray. He was like, no, we want a little bit of personal time. We want to wind down. We just want to veg out on something. But in John chapter 12, verse 37, John writes that, but despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. You talk about a guy getting taken advantage of? Think about how many people came to be healed. How many people got fed by him? How many people witnessed the miracles? How many people like, got to see the Son of God and hear him preach and do all this stuff and still Scripture says very few people believed in him. And you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. And when Paul's writing this, he says, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. If there's bitterness and animosity and arguing and any kind of stuff going on between you and fellow believer, it's a defeat for you. You've already lost Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why can't you just accept it? In the wisdom of Paul, the greatest missionary to ever live, traveled over 10,000 miles in his missionary journeys without a vehicle to go to all these places, all these different places, establishing churches throughout the Mediterranean and around the Mediterranean. And Paul says, why can't you just let it be? Just let it go. Why not let yourselves be cheated? You can never neglect the calling that Christ has put on your life. It's more than just about receiving justice. It's more than just about sitting around trying to justify things in your life or rationalize why it's okay to do some things and not other things. It's literally an understanding of the fact that He is God. And that if these are the expectations he has said, this is what I'm calling you to. This is what I'm, I expect from you. This is what I want from your life to understand that it's pretty clear, cut, and dry. And it doesn't matter how much we rationalize it. He's the one who decides whether or not we're acceptable. And to understand this morning, the whole reason why Jesus Christ was sent was to forgive you of your sins but it didn't end there. He died on the cross for your sins to cleanse you of those sins. He was raised to life to, to prove that there is life after death, that you can die, and yet there can still be life after death. He ascended to heaven to show us that, yes, there is a heaven because the people who were standing around watched him leave. How cool is that? And then... The Holy Spirit was sent to empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. It's not just a matter of being forgiven and then receiving forgiveness and then still receiving forgiveness or the fact that Jesus provides forgiveness for all sin or however you want to look at it. It's the simple fact of understanding the whole picture. 
That yes, he did die so that you could be forgiven of sin, both past, present, and future. But he also sent the Holy Spirit so that you could live a life apart from sin. I haven't mastered that yet. I haven't mastered a life completely apart from sin. And so I'm not throwing stones and saying that you should too, that you should be there. What I'm saying is is that our desire should be working towards that. Inviting the Holy Spirit in our life, submitting ourselves to God's authority, humbling ourselves and allowing Him to work and move in us and not trying to justify the sin that's there. Say, God... I'm not justifying this. I'm not rationalizing this anymore. It's there. I know it's wrong. Help me overcome it. Help me get rid of this. I don't know why. I can't get. I haven't been able to get over this. I haven't been able to walk away from this. I haven't been able to do away with this. God, help me overcome this. That's the attitude that we should have in our relationship with Christ. Because when we allow deviousness to set in, just that, that whole ideology that we can just find the loopholes and get by, it's like, well, maybe, maybe Christ will just forgive us anyway or let us in or all that stuff. Read Scripture. Read what God's Word says. Read the expectations of a believer of Christ and the understanding of what Paul was commanding those churches to do with people who still engaged in sin and lived a life of sin. He says, cast them out. They're hypocritical. Get rid of them. Don't, associate, don't even eat with people like that. Because there's an expectation that God has for you and for me, and that's to live for him. That the little things, even the little sins, should have no part in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for the opportunity to come here and worship you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. And God, that you would touch us, that you would work in us, that you would work through us. Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit would work and move in ways. Help us to overcome sin that's in our life. Help us to overcome these temptations that we struggle with so much. And God, I pray that when we walk out of here today, Lord, that we will have an attitude like those teenagers had, that, that Lord, we know that we've met with you. We know we, we felt you speak in our hearts, and God, that we want to live for you. We want to grow with you. But Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us do it. We love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.